I may not live to see our glory, but I will gladly join the fight. And when our children tell our story, they'll tell the story of tonight. Raise a glass to freedom, something they can never take away. No matter what they tell you, let's have another round tonight. Raise a glass to the four of us. Tomorrow there'll be more of us. Raise your glass to freedom, telling the story of tonight. What were you doing on January 20th, 2015? That Tuesday evening in the public theater in New York City uh, that was the first public performance of a musical that would take the nation by storm. What was that musical? Hamilton. That performance sold out would later go on Broadway just eight months later at the Richard Rogers Theater. This show was critically acclaimed from the beginning, winning an impressive 11 Tony Awards. It even led to amazing philanthropic opportunities for young people. It gave young artists the opportunity to experience Broadway for the first time. Um, imagine the inspiration a 15-year-old in 2016 would feel when they would go to this theater and see these artists perform something that had the power to change their life, all because of a story. What were you doing on January 20th, 2015? And did you know that that was happening? There was a story that was being told that would radically change lives. What did you know about in 2017, 2018, 2019 about how this show was inspiring and changing the lives of many, many people? If you were like me, you didn't know much about it or you didn't get caught up in it until this became available online on July 5th of this month. To be honest, this album, that performance has been the anthem of my summer. It's brought tears to my eyes, chills to my um, bones, moved by the creativity and artistry of those that performed it. But for me, it happened five years later. It was the same thing. These artists had already moved on to other things, but it took a while for me to hear about that story, to be caught up in it, to be moved by it in ways that have been done by people in 2015 and 2016 and so forth. So just because a story is told, events happen, and just because it's radically changed the lives of many, many people, it doesn't mean that it's done that same thing for everybody. I mean, I was listening to it in August and thinking, man, there's been people for five years that have been listening to this. They've already in ways moved on to the next exciting thing. But with fresh ears and fresh eyes, it caught me up into a story that has been told for years and years. See, humanity, we are a story-formed people. 
What I mean by that is we cannot help but search for meaning in everything and, and in something. And we want to find that meaning in a greater, larger narrative that we get caught up into. We love to wait on pins and needles for news that we know is going to change our lives. Whether it's um, you're at the hospital and waiting to find out it's a boy or a girl, it may be sad, a sad story or sad news that it's cancer. Or we're, many of you are waiting on pins and needles for certain news about on November 3rd. Fill in the blank wins the election. Whatever it is, we are a story-formed people that know that proclamation of stories have the ability to change our lives, that we live into them. It gives us a vision of what we're supposed to live into, and it frames what we um, do and how we live. It's just the way that we are created to be. And this is most certainly true of Christians. The word gospel literally means good news. It's the Greek word euangelion. It's a proclamation. This was a word that was used in the Roman Empire. So this doesn't have initial spiritual meaning. It was used when um, a Caesar was born or when Caesar defeated an enemy. It was the euangelion of Caesar Augustus. It was the good news proclaimed that would change it. And so when we talk about what is the story, what is the good news, what is the gospel that frames the life of us as followers of Jesus? What is the good news proclaimed, the story told that we who believe in Jesus may have heard for thousands and thousands of times? But for some people, they may not have heard it yet. They were new ears like I was for Hamilton in 2020. But what is that good news proclaimed that has power to change our lives and give us something to live into? That is the topic of today. We're starting a series that we're calling Simply Soma. As we enter into this new year uh, with school getting started, as we start to reshuffle our lives around micro-missional communities, which we'll talk about in a little bit, living on mission, forming our lives so that we can be, in essence, in quarantine, living out a physical embodied presence with one another for discipleship and for worship. As we go into that, we need to set the foundation and say, why are we doing this? What is it that fuels all that we're about to lean into? What is the gospel that changes our lives, that we center everything around, that's the foundation that we build off of, and that we are transformed by this is how Paul said it. He says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's reminding them of something that they already knew. He, he wants them to 
um, reimagine, restate it, relive the story that's fueling that church because it is from that that forms everything else for us. It's the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus proclaimed that we as followers of Jesus need to be reminded of over and over and over again because we are a forgetful people. So what is the gospel? This is how we've defined it and how we try to say it in one simple sentence. And then we're going to break it down based on the elements. So the gospel is Jesus, God's promised rescuer and king, lovingly lived the life that we should live, died the death we deserve, and rose again victoriously by the Spirit to redeem and restore all of creation, including us. So it is the good news, the gospel is about Jesus. And so we're going to look at the different themes of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and his second coming. This is the good news proclaimed that has the power to change our lives. So first, let's look at Jesus's life. Thematically, Jesus's life is significant because Jesus's life shows us God, that he is perfectly God and he is perfectly human. Um, If you want to know what God is like, if you want to have an understanding of his character, of what he would do, you will look to the person of Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. And Hebrews 1, 3, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus came among us, dwelt among us, John says, and it was God in the flesh. The church father, Augustine, says that he added to his divinity humanity, but he is divine. He is the picture of God himself. There was a recent study that came out in America asking what um, evangelicals believe. And a large percentage of them would say wrongly that Jesus was the first created being by God. And this is not true. Jesus is God. When God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, when he showed up, that was Jesus. When God showed up for uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Daniel, and the fourth person showed up, that was Jesus. When we think of Yahweh of the Old Testament, we have to understand that that is God the Father, God the Son showing himself to humanity. And so Jesus is the exact imprint of God. You want to know what God looks like? You want to understand all the Old Testament? You look through the lens of the life of Jesus. But it's he's not just God. If you want to know what it means to be perfectly human, you also look to Jesus. 
The early church fought so hard over this. They fought in the Nicene Creed, which is the a universal creed um, that's spoken of by the Orthodox and Catholics and, and Protestants that was arguing over the humanity and divinity of Jesus. We see in Romans 5, 12 through 21, that Jesus is the second Adam. And instead of rebelling against God, he perfectly obeyed, and now we are in his likeness. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 says that in Jesus' humanity, he laid down some of his divine rights. So in Jesus, we have a picture of what it means to be perfectly human. If you want to know what it would have been like for Adam and Eve if they did not sin, Jesus is the answer. So what was his life like? It was hospitality to the outsider. It was care for the poor. It was love of the world. It was healing of the sick. It was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. It was inaugurating a new way of being. It was giving a vision of the Sermon on the Mount of what human flourishing was like. This is all about Jesus. And he perfectly followed God's example. He is the example in which we are to follow. He lived a sinless life, never disobeyed God, and only did what he saw the Father doing. And he did that in his life by being led by and empowered by God's Spirit. So he is perfectly God, and he is perfectly man. This is the life of Jesus. Now, in historic history, there has been moves that have tended to focus on the different elements of the life or the different elements of the gospel, whether it's life, death, resurrection, ascension, or second coming. And we've either over-focused on something or we've um, focused on it too little. And that has had ramifications. So I want to briefly just give examples of what that would look like. So if you've put too much focus on the life of Jesus without the other elements, you tend to have a gospel or a story, a call to only social issues without a call to reconciliation to God. As we'll see in the death of Jesus, you tend to um, limit the sinfulness of humanity if you only look to the life of Jesus. You just say, okay, here's his kingdom. Go and do it. Ultimately, if you focus too little on the life of Jesus, you have an example to follow without the power to accomplish it. You have an example to follow without the power to accomplish it. This is legalism or moralism. It's, hey, Jesus did this, so you go and do it. What would Jesus do? That's your job. Go and do it. But it lacks the power of the spirit that was given to us in his resurrection that actually changes our hearts and fuels it. So if you just keep living on, oh, I'm gonna just, I just need to be better. I need to do what Jesus did. I need to walk this out. You will tend to, and it will lead to discouragement. It like, well, I can't do this. I guess, well, that is not a worthy example. I'm going to go and live another story because I can't live, actually live into that. It's because you don't have the fullness of it. So you, brothers and sisters, have an example to follow. It's the life of Jesus. The gospel accounts are largely his life. You have an example to follow. 
But you also have an example, not just of God, but what it means to be human and what his kingdom looks like. That's the life of Jesus. The second aspect of the gospel proclamation is not just his life, but secondly, his death, the death of Jesus on the cross. The themes of this are sacrifice and substitute. If you want to understand the death of Jesus, you have to understand it by sacrifice and substitute. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us. And remember, he lovingly died for us. He, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the beginning of Jesus' life and ministry, John says this in John 1, 29, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. On the cross, in his death, Jesus became sin itself. He became the evil and vile. He bore all of the world's sins upon his shoulders. He's the fulfillment of the sacrificial lamb and all the sacrificial system. And what was the purpose of all of that in the story of God? It was so that they could be cleansed and be in the presence of God. Jesus' death on the cross means that your and my sins and rebellion against a holy God are forgiven. What happened in Genesis 3 about the rebellion of Adam and Eve that we have inherited, because of the cross of Jesus, we are forgiven of that We are made whole and cleansed. And now by his spirit, we are the temple of God. This is the amazing thing about it. God died. Jesus himself not only went to the cross, he died physically on the cross. And he did that because you and I deserve death. And he's that sacrifice for us to pay for the penalty but he also trades places for us. I and you deserve to be on the cross that he hung on. But what happened? He took our place. He said, no, out of love for you, out of grace extended to you, not because you deserved it, I'm going to take that place. I'm going to pay the penalty. I, myself, God in the flesh, will become the thing I hate out of love for you. We rebellious image bearers outside of the kingdom because of the cross are now beloved children in the family. He paid the penalty. He showed his love on the cross. So what happens if we focus too much or too little on his death? If we focus too much, we tend to have a gospel that starts in Genesis 3 and ends only at Genesis 19 and 20. Let me explain what I mean by that. In the story of God, Genesis 1 and 2 is a story of creation. It's the story of God um, breathing life into Adam and Eve after he created all the being. He formed it to be a temple to himself and for his image bearers, Adam and Eve, to fill the earth, to to show the world what God was like. 
And it was very good, he says at the end of creation, that we have a good creation. We're created in, so there's an inherent goodness to humanity. But in Genesis 3, what happens, sin enters the picture. Sin enters the story when Adam and Eve rebel against the holy God. And so they're now outcasts from him. When we focus on, and our message of the gospel is only about the cross, we tend to only focus on the sinfulness of humanity. We think that every single person is only, only sinful. Now, I do, we do believe that sin has completely distorted and perverted every aspect of our society. It's permeated everything. There's not an aspect where sin has not touched. And if we only focus on the cross, we forget that within humanity, we're still seeing broken, cracked, and yet still image bearers of God. And so we wallow in our sin. We, we forget that Jesus not, didn't just die. He actually rose again, that he's victorious over sin, that we are now more than conquerors. We tend to forget those things. If we only say, Jesus died for you, Jesus died for you, but he also lived and he rose. Okay, if we focus on it too little, a few things. First of all, we undermine the sinfulness of humanity. So if we don't talk about the cross, we tend to not think that sin is actually a problem, that sin is present. If Jesus doesn't have to forgive our sins, then we don't need the cross. If there is no sin, we don't need Jesus' death. So we undermine the story of what sin can do. But if we also don't have the cross, we don't have salvation. We don't have salvation through grace alone. Our sins are still forgive, um, unforgiven if Jesus did not pay. And not only that, we tend to have a works mentality. That it's, if I, I don't know what God, how, if God loves me, so now I have to work to it. I have to do whatever I think's best. I have to live up to a standard. But the cross of Jesus says that there is no way that you can live up to a standard of perfection that only Jesus can do. He did it for you and he graciously gave it as a gift to you. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. And that is the offer of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, because of Jesus' death, you are forgiven. Whatever you did this week, last week, this morning, you are forgiven because Jesus paid the penalty. He was the sacrifice and substitute for you. You are loved. God showed his love for you because Jesus died on you. You never have to question whether you're loved by God again. No matter what you've done, God loves you in Christ. And you are no longer under judgment. Yes, God corrects. Yes, God, as a father, wants us to live a good life. But Jesus took the judgment for you. And so God never looks at you. Now I need to judge that person because Jesus became the judgment for you and I. So we have Jesus' life. Perfectly God, perfectly man. You have Jesus' death, which is the sacrifice and substitute of sin. Third, you have his resurrection. And his resurrection is the victory and inbreaking. Victory and inbreaking of the kingdom. We see this in Luke 24, Romans 4, 24 through 25, 1 Peter 3, lots and lots, 1 Corinthians 15, 
if you want to know what the resurrection is talking about, look to 1 Corinthians 15. This is what it says in 1 Peter 1, 3, though. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through, well, how did he do that? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In the cross and resurrection, God and Jesus defeated his greatest enemies of sin, Satan, and death. This is what 1 Corinthians says. Death uh, is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus, or through our Lord Jesus. This, this is the fulfillment of the resurrection, the chapter of the resurrection. Jesus, in his resurrection, defeated sin, Satan, and death. They no longer have power over him. Death no longer reigns in him. He has defeated the very thing that Genesis 3 had started. He sits over it. He's now beyond it. He has powers over all heavens and earth, he says in Matthew 28. God is not dead anymore. Jesus is alive. We don't just say that on Easter morning. Jesus is alive right now. And that should fuel us. That should change how we live. The gospel doesn't stop at the cross. The cross is so unbelievably important. But if you stop there, then nothing that Jesus did matters. Doesn't. He's one of the thousands of people the Romans crucified. But because he physically, historically, bodily rose from the dead... He is the statement that God won. Death has no victory. Sin has been defeated. Our enemy of Satan is less powerful. And one day he will ultimately be defeated. That is our story. And in his resurrection, he brings about a, the inauguration of his kingdom. What was the teachings of Jesus? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's among you. It's like a little mustard seed. It's like a little yeast of a dough. But now because of his resurrection, he is forming communities of people that live the resurrected life here and now in this world. We call that the church, you and me. We live that day by day, moment by moment now. How does 1 Corinthians 15 And Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. What are you saying? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, what you do matters. Here and now matters. He's alive. He, he's inaugurated a new creation. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are the beginning of the fulfillment of his future kingdom to come. So what happens if we focus too much on the resurrection? Um, uh, I haven't figured that one out yet. I, I think the resurrection is so unbelievably important. Jesus is alive. 
If, now, if we only focus on the future aspect of his kingdom, if we only focus, on, we'll talk about that in a few moments. The problem is we tend to not live in the present. But if we focus too little on it, we have this understanding that Jesus died and he's still dead. We forget that he's present among us right now. And honestly, if you don't have the resurrection of Jesus, Paul even says this, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If we don't focus on the resurrection of Jesus, we don't have a faith. Christianity is useless. It's pointless. All the teachings of Jesus are nothing if Jesus did not rise from the dead. It's that pivotal. And so you may be watching and you may not believe this story so far, but this is the point do you believe that Jesus physically, bodily rose again? Do you? Historically, based on the scriptures, based on all that's happened, I'll say yes. And there's lots of things we can talk about if you'd like to. But Jesus' life, perfectly God, perfectly man, his, the, his death on the cross, sacrifice and substitute, his resurrection is the victory and the inbreaking of the kingdom. And the last two, number four, is ascension. Jesus ascended. Which, what's the themes of that? It's the sending of the Spirit and his advocacy before the Father. So what is John 16? Uh, he, Jesus says in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not, the Helper, the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He goes on to say elsewhere that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is now alive in us. So because Jesus has left, because Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, we have been given the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit being given to us is an outworking of Jesus rising from the dead and ascending to heaven. So we have a Spirit which is the power at work with us, God at work in us to do and live the life that Jesus calls us to in his kingdom. He has empowered us. He has fueled us by the Spirit. So we are a dependent, needy people on the, uh, on the Spirit. Jesus could not, um, he only did Luke 4 and Matthew 4, the temptation in the desert. He did that by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed the Spirit to show him what the Father did, how much more do you and I need the Spirit? To be dependent upon him, to listen to him, for him to remind us of Jesus, to be at work in our hearts. But not just the sending of the Spirit. We also have to remember that in the ascension, we had an advocate. What Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You have the resurrected King Jesus speaking to God the Father right now in a place of authority, asking for your good. He's praying for you. He wants good for you. So what happens if we focus too much on the ascension? 
we, we start to think that the physical doesn't matter. And what do I mean by that? Jesus ascended physically. So Jesus right now at the right hand of the Father is physically embodied. He is the first fruits from the dead the, of the resurrection. So we tend to think, oh, Jesus ascended and he's now sitting in heaven on clouds playing a harp. Not true. Jesus is physically embodied in heaven. And one day he's going to return, as we'll talk about, and give us resurrected bodies. We, if we don't realize that the, Jesus will eternally is, and it be physically um, present and embodied, we forget that in that ascension and, we, and now in all of our lives, that physical stuff matters. This physical is important. If, if Jesus is willing to take on flesh for the rest of eternity, that's a big deal. We don't have a Gnostic gospel that says, oh, we're just going to go um, to heaven one day and we're going to sit on a cloud and we're just going to have a worship service all day. No, the physical matters. And if we focus too little on it, we tend to lack power for change. Remember, we have the Spirit of God in us. The ascension gives us the Spirit. He, he descends, He baptizes, He fills in Acts, it says. You and I need the Spirit. And last, now His life is perfectly God, perfectly man. His death is sacrifice and substitute. His resurrection is victory and inbreaking of the kingdom or a new creation. Uh, his ascension is that he sent his spirit and he's in advocacy before the Father. And the second coming is our blessed hope and a new creation. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on it. Revelation 21, 1-4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. John and the Revelation got a picture of the new creation coming down. That there will be no pain, no death. That God himself, like it was intended to be in Genesis, will create a new garden city, a new Jerusalem. Here on earth, he will renew it. He will restore it. He will cleanse it of its sin and we with God and with one another who have placed our faith in Jesus will live eternally embodied here on in the new creation. And this is our hope. This is what we set our hope fully on, Peter says. This is what uh, Eugene Peterson says. 
says, hope does not mean doing nothing. It's not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with bogus spirituality. It's the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulation of scurrying and worrying. And hope is not dreaming. It's not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom and our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It's a, it is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it his way in his time. That's hope. And that's what we have in his second coming. It's not bogus spirituality. It's that in the midst of the pain of life, we know one day it will not be like this. Imagine, think of it like this for a moment. Sports analogy, you're down by 40 at halftime. What do you think the atmosphere is in the room? What do you think it's like to be in that spot? Probably defeated, helpless, hopeless. Just Let's just get it over with so we can just go about what we want to do. But what changes if you know, even down by 40, that you win the game? It changes what you do in the moment. It changes your heart. It changes your fears, your anxieties, your concerns. Because that reality of the future, even if it doesn't feel like it in the present, it gives you a security, a certainty, allows you to play free without concern that... So when things go wrong or don't make sense, it allows you to say, but you know what? That's my hope. I know that's happening. That's going to break into the present and I will experience that one day. You hold that truth so close that no matter what happens in the game, that this is your hope that will ultimately reveal itself, even if you don't know how that will happen. That is the reality of the second coming. That we have this hope where there will be no pain, no death. We know that um, this new creation is going to be our eternal reality. So even if things go to, um, to go down hard now, even if we end up down by 40, even if it feels that we're failing, even if we're behind, even if persecution, even if pain, even if suffering, even if death of loved ones, even if COVID, even if our politician that we want to win loses, even if the things that we want so desperately right now does not happen, even if we know Jesus is returning, we know that that is our future hope, we know that that will happen. So it changes the present. We can persevere amidst suffering. We can look forward with hope when, when everything around us looks like it's falling apart. That is the reality of what's happening now. So brothers and sisters, this is not the best that it's going to be. You could be down. You could be discouraged. You could be fearful of all that's happening with COVID. All that's happening in the social and political upheaval of our day. And yet... Our promised hope is not that those things will order themselves out. It's that Jesus is one day returning. 
And that, my brothers and sisters, is the good news of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his second coming. That is what fuels us. That is what motivates us. That is what frames our whole life. And that is what we call people to profess faith in. And so if you're watching and you've made it this far, the Spirit of God is at work in you. The Spirit of God is drawing you. He wants you and I to see, even if it's a story that you've heard a thousand times, or if you're like me on July 5th when you watch Hamilton for the first time, and it totally blows your mind. When you, you are drawn to it and it changes everything. The Spirit of God is calling us to the gospel of Jesus. In this moment at this time. And that is what you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, need to fuel where we're going for what's next. As we enter the fall in the midst of COVID, we need to hold deeply on to the gospel of Jesus. And friends that don't yet believe, this is the call to you. That Jesus is perfectly God and perfectly man. He lived a perfect life, but he lovingly died in your place for your sins. He was the sacrifice and substitute to make you right with God. But then he rose again. He was victorious over the things that hold you back from a life that you've always dreamed of. And in that victory, in that reality, he broke in a kingdom and now gives you something to live into. He ascended into heaven so he's praying for you. He's asking that God right now would save you and that the Spirit would draw and empower you to live this new life. So in the midst of all this that we're living, we can have a hope that whenever whatever's going on around us, we can hold firm and steady that Jesus is alive, returning one day, and going to renew and restore everything. So do you place your faith, your trust, your dependence that that is the good news story that forms all of the stories. That's the call to you. And let me, so I, I ask of you, if you're watching this on Facebook, put that in the comment box. Say, I'm placing my faith in Jesus. I'm believing that story. I live into that good news. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Jesus, you are perfectly God and perfectly man. You sacrificed and substitute on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. You rose again victorious over sin, Satan, and death. That your um, kingdom has now broken into this world by your resurrected people. Jesus, you ascended to heaven and you're praying for us. You're interceding and advocating for us. But you've also sent your spirit so that we can be empowered to live what you've called us to live. And we hold fast. We hope, put our hope fully on the grace that will be re brought, revealed to us in, at the revelation of Jesus. When you return and you renew and restore all creation, you wipe away every tear, you completely do away with sin, Satan, and death, and we walk eternally, physically again with you. That is our good news story that changes everything. So as we lean into micro-missional communities, as we walk this out, I pray that you, by your spirit, allow that to be what we place our focus in. Help us. Help those of us that need to be reminded. Help those that don't yet believe. Help them believe. We pray all this 
in the name of Jesus, who is on our side, who is for us, not against us, who revealed the Father's love for us, who sent his spirit to empower us to live new, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.